Hi, everybody. Welcome to a fantastic new Prog Report podcast. A couple of special guests with us. We're going to talk about the new Frost record. I'd like to welcome Jem Godfrey and John Mitchell. Hello. Say hello, guys. Hello. And joining me is our friend Prognik, all the way from South Africa. That's Hi, not everybody. everybody. What's that? That's not his real name. He's not, but changed it by deed poll. Yeah, Pog. no, it's, yeah, no, he changed it. It's officially Prognik now. Uh, but, uh, you gave me that name, dude. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Nick's been, you've been uh, on the podcast a lot more lately, man. You've been sort yeah. of uh, pushing your way into these. Getting, well, rid, of old, sure, getting rid of old I Jeff sure Bailey. Wasn't, I wasn't going to miss this one, not with one of my favorite No, for fans. sure. I mean, if there's ever a Frost fan in, in our group, it is definitely Nick, so we had to have him on here. Um, but guys, first of all, I just want to say, um, you know, the new record, uh, Day and Age, comes out in a few weeks in May. Uh, fantastic new record. There's a uh, first single out, Terrestrial, and I think by the time we air this, there will be a second single out as well. So hopefully everybody's checked that stuff out and pre-ordered the record uh, and everything. But let's go ahead and talk about it a little bit. Um, you know, how have you guys been during this whole COVID period and... and what prompted you to start the record during this, or, or was the plan already in place before? Uh, Jem, I'll let you get get started. Oh, all right, thank you. Yeah. Um, it was actually we wrote them, we wrote most of it before all this happened, which is which was actually sort of strangely uh, sort of fortunate for us. It was we we gathered together um, in September 2019, and we rented. Uh, a sort of little cottage down in Cornwall, southwest of England. It's sort of where all all of England goes on a holiday in the summer. Um, so we went down just after the summer holiday, so it emptied out, and we rented this cottage and we set up a little portable studio, a little sort of keyboard and a little Pro Tools ring on a laptop and guitars and stuff. And we didn't really have anything prepared, and we just because um, what we've done previously is we've 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 either gone to each other's houses to write, and we kind of the idea we had this time was was. Um, initially, we wanted to go to New York to do it, but it was a bit tricky with work visas, funnily enough. So we decided Cornwall would be good. So we, we sort of set up down there without anything prepared. And um, we had an idea that we'd write a song a day. And we were there for five days, I think, six days. And we wrote five songs. So it was kind of, it was a real, uh, a real interesting new adventure for us to, to, to kind of to do that. We wrote the framework for five songs. Then we went home to recover. Uh, and we re-met up again in January 2020 uh, in a place called Dungeness, which is in East Sussex, which is right on the south coast of the UK. Um, it's a really strange, weird, bleak place, which is right by the sea, literally right by the sea, uh, with a big nuclear power station 200 metres over here, and it's all completely flat. <clears throat> and we rented this life, uh, like a lifeguard watchtower sort of thing, which was a sort of 80, 90 foot high sort of concrete block that came out of the shingle and we stayed there for four days five days i think it was and we we sort of then went on to write what was the majority of the rest of the album so kind of uh it was a brilliant experience and we'll talk about it later but and then what happens we got back and then six weeks later obviously everything happened and lockdown happened so we were very lucky wow. that we got it done before we couldn't meet up anymore so yeah okay so first of all i i just want to say both to you, Jim, and, and to you, John. Congratulations on Day and Age. Uh, I think it's a masterwork. Um, 
I was going to say it's your it's it's your best album since Million Town, but I'm going to say it's your best album since Thirteen Winters, <laughs> just to be politically correct. Um, but uh, Roy, Roy, as my editor, he he knows that if there's a Frost album or a Lonely Robot album or, or, or whatever, he he's he's going to send that review to me. He's going to ask me to do it because because I'm that guy in this group. I'm, I'm a huge fan of your work, really. Um, and I've done the review for Day and Age. Um, I've still got to send it through to Roy. He hasn't seen it yet. But I, I kind of made the observation in that review that whenever you go to a Frost show, which of course I have several times, the overriding requirement is that you enjoy yourselves. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> I see where you're that, going with that, this. Right. <laughs> that, that's what happens. Now, 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 a lot of people who haven't heard the album may not know what I'm talking about, but this is the overriding requirement if you're a Frost fan, as I am. Um, I can just imagine you guys having a field day with that on stage and more about that later. But um, for now, I'd just like to ask you, that notion having now manifested itself as a kind of a recurring theme on the album, uh, sometimes ironically and through a light filter, sometimes uh, with, through a darker and heavier lens, uh, but it gets every kind of treatment. Was that the overall overriding concept going into the album? Did you approach it with that in mind or did it just happen organically while you guys were writing? John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I always, I'd like the notion of, um, um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing about enjoy yourselves, you know, it's kind of like go back to sleep or, you know, that kind of, that sort of, you know, subservient thing. You remember a guy called Bill Hicks? Yeah. He used the notion that um, gladiators, you know, the TV show Gladiators was, was just a way of, of the government trying to stop everybody asking questions. Go back to sleep. What, here's the gladiators. Quiet, please. Just watch the gladiators. <laughs> don't, don't pay attention. Ignore what's going on. Ignore this. Watch the gladiators. Right. So it's kind of like actually the enjoy. It's just, you know, as a sort of slogan, it's an extension of that kind of way of thinking as if, you know, um, you know, ignore the big picture. Just get on with it, you, you know. <laughs> It's kind of a, it is a sort of big brothery kind of a slogan to make, but it is as the time that we live in, I think it's quite pertinent right now, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it does, it does. Various people actually, I don't want to, you know, but it's a bit of ear candy throughout the album. There are various different people that actually have been caught on tape saying that. So it's for the, the uh, listener to figure out further down the line. Yes. Um. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, it's an upbeat record musically a little bit, but it has, it has that kind of dark undertone through, through all of it, I think. And that's what maybe Nick is trying to talk about. But um, John, you end up singing a lot of the record more than in the past, right? I mean, how, was that a, a deliberate thing that happened or as you're just writing a song, it was, well, it was just, uh, John, you sing this one. Yeah, well, no, it was entirely the fact that it was, um, and it was uh, a matter of, you know, with the, we recorded all the demos on Pro Tools and, and, and Jim brought his Pro Tools. We basically both, when we set up these sort of imp improvisational studios where we both bring equipment and we just, you know, because obviously we're in Cornwall and it's like a, it's basically a farmhouse or like a little farm cottage building. And so we kind of thought, oh, we'll take that table with that lamp on it and we'll bring that over here and we'll use this and we'll make, we'll put the speakers here and this and whatever. And Jem set up his computer and of course, I, I think I brought my Focusrite card down my sound card with me and I brought some speakers and he had the rig and he had the 
the keyboard. So we kind of both brought, anyway, the bottom line is I don't really know how to use Pro Tools. So when it came <laughs> to put a guide vocal down, by default, I was like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd scribbled some lyrics down. And I said, well, I'll just put something down just as a sort of placeholder mm. so that we know that that's what it's going to roughly sound like. Because Gem and I have more or less, you know, pretty much got exactly the same vocal range so that we know that whoever sings it with, with the other one will be able to sing it kind of thing because we're both sort of baritone, you know, in that in that range. So, yeah, and the idea was they would just be like, I remember, I remember when we were recording, I kept going, oh, this this would be good with your voice. This would be, You should definitely sing this one here. This would be good for your voice. And, and and then of course um, I didn't think any more of it, but as as time went on, Jen was like, "Nah, I think that one's going to stay." And I think actually a lot of the guide vocals, even though they're a bit scratchy and rough in places, some you know a few, quite a few of the, the original just guide vocals have actually made it onto the record. But you know, yeah, no, I was all, all the all the I mean, pretty much. Well, I think all the lead vocal on "Repeat to Fade" is is that Dungeness guide vocal. <laughs> the, the slowly losing one's mind and yeah, voice yeah. guide vocal. <laughs> well, because and this is the thing that John says that you know, and I totally, I totally get it. They're kind of like they're like snapshots of your life. They're almost like sort of diary entries in a musical context. And what I loved about, and what I do love about listening back to the album when I when I do is that I can see us in that room having a laugh, you know, and, and it's all kind of joking and. And you can kind of hear, you can hear those, 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 um, those moments. It's kind of like it's like it's almost like it's a weird way of, of sort of recording a moment of your life. I mean, there's a bit in Island Life where in the background I go, and and that was in the room, <clears throat> and it's kind of like all those little things are all sort of part of the the sort of audio diary of making the album. So it was kind of nice. And if you re if you replace too many vocals, you kind of strip out that that kind of that sense of of wonder about because we're writing the songs as we're singing them so there is that sort of that spark of us going this is wow if you put that with that harmony this is great and and if, if i didn't want to take too much of that out because then it just became more right. sterile so it is it is that sound of us kind of riffing off writing the songs and singing about that at the moment of writing and that, i think that's a really special and precious kind of thing island life that's a good song I like that oh, one it's a great song yeah and also, as Gem says, you know, it's it's you know, um, when you when you when you're recording a vocal, it is normally I find within the first three or four takes is where the excitement is. So if you've already done the three or four takes, the magic dust is gone. And if I try and recreate the magic, in in my you know, right. like you know, a lot of a lot like a lot of just it's just it's a nice it's nice to know that the a lot you know the vast majority of the DNA, as it were, to sound pretentious of the album was in 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 those locations you know a lot of the guitars i know that i didn't play a lot of those guitars again because i just didn't you know we could have we could have taken all the sharp edges off it but that's what i think right. i like about the record is well, yeah that's an interesting point there are no solos on this album no that's right so come to think of it yeah 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 but you didn't think about that until uh, i didn't i didn't <laughs> i've also featured our first ever fade i haven't done them before either no, really. <laughs> yes, and it's not on repeat to fade, which you would think. It's so actually on the title. That's track. technically a crossfade, isn't it? So that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, again, it was. It, we we kind of we. We've, as well as anyone who knows the band, and you know, we don't tend to repeat ourselves because there's no point. You know, I don't. I don't think. And so we kind of we always with each album we sort of think, what can we do that we that would make things a little bit more difficult or interesting or challenging and the obvious thing is solos you know I and mean, we are we are previously we have been quite a solo band and our sort of thought was 
why this is that 32 bars we can either just do a bit of this and yeah okay great i can play or we could be interested we could do something interesting why don't we do an arrangement why don't we why don't we how do we make that 32 bars interesting as a band that we're all kind of invested in it and so yeah i think, I, I think it's it's important to note that you're not saying there's no musical like instrumental parts it's just not a particular like a guitar solo i mean there's a lot of breaks where there's like you're saying there's a bunch of stuff going on musically um the title track for me is i mean it opens the album it's it it's been my favorite one of my favorite songs this year to come up by anybody uh and it opens the album at 12 minutes dude yeah. that's a statement yeah <laughs> I, and i you know that that's a particular frost sound for me it's it's very it has a little bit of that million town kind of thing to it where it's just a driving kind of almost the entire time kind of really pushing the tempo um you know where does a song like that develop is is it almost a drum beat first kind of gets you going on something like that or, or how does a song like that build i'm trying to remember how, well i am i am struggling I, I remember i tell you what i do remember about that song was that we decided it should be in patterns of three that was the first thing we were like because I think you had that keyboard motif, didn't you? Da, 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 two, three, four, da, 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 da. Like it, so instead of right. just being in straight shapes, I think I, I think I might have tried to learn it on the guitar and played it accidentally wrongly. So it was a pattern of three, and that's how that sort of that because the whole thing is in you know in, in odd cycles in, in a strange way, you know. Um, yeah. But I, actually, how we came to how we came to but that, that was I remember us being extremely excited about that song when we. I remember we downed, we, we kind of, what we did was we'd record all day and then we'd do a little podcast and then we'd come back and listen to what we'd done that day. And I remember us being like goosebumps on the back of the neck. And I remember we'd thinking, have a, we'd, we'd have a kind of, uh, John, John is the king of the bacon and egg bap. Hmm. And what would happen is we'd, we'd regain consciousness in the morning and we would convene in the, in the central studio. <clears throat> and then John would set to work. I mean, a cup of, a cup of coffee would appear. Thanks mate. And then, then he'd be off. And then I would just sort of start the machines up and, and I'd just be playing around or have a sample or something. And then what would happen is I'd noodle with something. And then from the other room, I'd hear, ah, play that again. <laughs> and so you'd kind of, and then it would be sort of, you just develop ideas like that. And then we'd sit down and we'd kind of just play. So yeah, the, the day and age thing was all threes for some mm. reason. So the whole thing was like the middle eights, all bars of three and the riffs of bar of three. And it's all, so it kind of falls over itself, which was interesting in itself. Yeah. And then with what you think is just straight four four, I don't know. It, it kind of just it was it was a it was just a little piano riff, and then um, I think we had an idea. Why don't you know? Well, let's do the verse up a fifth, and mm. you, I don't know. It's just little things you play around with, and then and then yeah, uh, yeah. It, yeah, that's it, great. It will so 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 speaking of it not actually being a straight four four riff, let's you guys knew this question was coming. Let's let's talk drummers. Let's talk drummers. We have to. Go on then. Can we? Fans wanna know. So, so obviously, since Craig's departure in in 2019, you guys are officially a three piece now. But um, you got three drummers in, and wow! I mean, no less than Pat Mastellato, no less. Uh, on on two tracks, Darby Todd and Kaz Rodriguez on on um, on Day and Age and and uh, I think one other track. Um, so, firstly, my question is, who's going to be the one guy who's got to play all this stuff when you eventually go back on the road? 
And secondly, do you want to tell us how you got involved with these three stellar drummers um, and, and what the story of that was? Do you want to do the story of Pat, John? <clears throat> well, I, I can do the story of Pat. You're going to have to do the story of Derby. Um, I'll, 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 I'll fire up the mower with Pat. Um, so basically, well, it's no secret that, you know, a, a, a people of a certain age uh, are, you know, who grow up in the 80s, uh, you know, people of, of our genre are, are huge fans of the band Mr. Mr., as well as obviously the police and various other bands of that ilk and Tears for Fears. And obviously Pat Mastelotto, you know, I just remember being obsessed with, we were, I'm, I'm particularly obsessed. I remember writing a big dissertation and sending it to Jem on WhatsApp once about why why I love Welcome to the Real World. <laughs> it's so crazy because I actually put on, I have that vinyl from back when it came out and I was actually listening to it a couple weeks ago for no particular reason. It's a great record. Okay, okay. well, it's, you know, it, and it, obviously it's of its time. It, you yeah. know, if, if you were to listen to it now, you'd think, well, you know, obviously we don't hear those kind of drum sounds anymore and, and there's a lot of DX7 on there and all sorts of exciting things. But, you know, at the same time, it's an incredibly well-written and well-produced album. And, and the songs stand the test of time, you know, and he's got one of the best voices on the planet as well. So it all it helps to add to the whole sort of mixing bowl of why we love that album. But anyway, we were on the, the cruise to the edge, uh, obviously, and it was, um, we just played. And I remember I'd spent far too much time on the top deck and I was sunbathing with uh, next to Craig and chatting and I just forgot to put sun cream. I got very badly sunburned and my legs were like lobsters. And I was like, I remember we came off stage and my legs were literally throbbing. Like, you know, that thing when you get sunburned, <laughs> like a dubstep concert right in my legs. And um, yeah, so, and then I got into the elevator and, and then Pat Mastelotto comes in. He goes, ah, oh, hi, hi, uh, you guys, you're in frost, aren't you? I said, yes, yes. He goes, oh, you guys were amazing. You guys were really, really good. I said, oh, thank you. And I just got out. And I said, that's great. No, I've got to go. And I just, the elevator doors open and off I walked. And then I thought, that was Pat Mastelotto. That was Pat Mastelotto. I should have said more. I should have gone and bought him a drink, but my legs are on fire. So yeah, there was a lot of regret there. And of course, um, uh, you know, and, and I thought, well, that's, a, you know, the idea sort of went into my head that actually he, he likes, and I went and told Jem very excitedly and Jem was like, oh, this is remarkably good news. And then, of course, it came times to do the, uh, you know, the recording. And I think, you know, uh, you know, we, um, Jem dropped him an email. I think we got the email from, from the label. And I think Jem dropped him an email. And he said something like, well, I'm just a tired old rock and roll drummer. But yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> something charming and sort of self-deprecatory like that. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, so he did do it. Yes, he's on uh, two of the tracks on the, on the album. That's great. That's awesome. Derby was, uh, it's, I went, I live in a, I currently live in a town called Tunbridge Wells, which is in Kent. Um, and down the hill from where I live, there's a sort of old Victorian, it's a Victorian spa town. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an area called the Pantiles, which is basically this sort of, it's, it's like it was in the, in the 19th century. It's got this, you know, colonnade and it's very lovely. And there's a bandstand in the middle. Anyway, so in the summer, what they, what they do is they put these jazz gigs on outside. Well, they did, obviously, they did it at the, they did it at the moment. And um, <clears throat> and it was every Wednesday night, and I never went to them because you think, well, you know, jazz schmaz. But one particular night, I um, I was meeting a friend of mine for a drink, so we just went for a pint. And there's, pub there's pubs and bars and all kinds of things down there. And so we went down, and I didn't know this thing was happening. And so I was like, oh wow, lots of people everywhere. So we nip in to this bar on this lovely open space. It's a beautiful evening, 
and there was a jazz band on and there was just this this a uh, little sort of like they were they were kind of they weren't trad they were sort of they had a keyboard player and it was sort of, they were doing sort of slightly fusiony kind of things it was interesting and we were chatting away and then i just was sort of became more and more aware of this sort of drummer doing this stuff and i was like hang on a minute and my friend would be, i go yeah 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 hang on a minute and uh, eventually i thought i do you know what i have to get my phone out of the phone i thought john's got to see this so this bloke was just was just unbelievable i was thinking this is with tambridge wells who are you <laughs> and so anyway the gig finished i went back i went home and i said john 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 look at this, look at this, look at this. so he looked at me and went, oh wow okay that's interesting so the next day i emailed um darby he was one of those he, i don't think he has any more but there was a point where he had his email address on his website schoolboy error and so i went hello uh, my name's jamie don't know me and uh I'm, I'm in this band called frost we're doing an album do you, do you fancy drumming on it and he went i know who you are we were on the cruise to the edge together and I was in headspace. Oh. I went, really? Oh, okay. That's nice. So um, we sort of struck up a friendship and, um, and so, yeah, it was kind of, he was such a, such a talent that night, but it's just, you just, you'd have that instinct. You think he, I've, he's got to, he's brilliant, you know, cause he wasn't, what I like about Derby's playing is he's, he's showy in small bursts because he understands the importance of song structure, you know? So it's kind of like, He's really, really creative rhythmically, but he's also quite restrained when he when he plays for the song. You know, he used to be in, he used to be in a band called The Darkness and, and sort of other pop bands and stuff. So he kind of he knows he knows about structure and musicality and stuff. So so yeah, that was it was a it was just a complete fluke that he's on the album. But it was just you know it was a brilliant and I, again they have, this whole album's been about those sorts of happy accidents. You know, it kind of yeah. and we sort of wanted to roll the roll, roll with the flow with that. And Kevin yeah. Rodriguez, of course, is a, is a kind of a drummer's drummer. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I mean, you know, very, very prominent on YouTube clinics, that kind of thing. Um, but, but I got to say, those fills that he does in the title track, the short, sharp, innovative fills, they really are um, very tasty. That's really the only word for it here. Was he specifically chosen for that reason on that particular track? Or how did that come about? It kind of was, yeah. I mean, he was because he does lots of the Zildjian videos and stuff. And he, as you say, a drummer's drummer. He's on YouTube he, all over the place. And he writes tracks that other drummers used to solo to at drum clinics and shows and stuff, which is a new, I've not heard of this as a concept before. But I'd be watching other, obviously, because we were looking for drummers, looking at drummers. And I looked at lots of drummers online. And every now and, and repeatedly, they'd go, oh, this is a Kaz Ros, Ros, uh, Rodriguez track we're playing. I'm thinking, okay, fine, let's go. And then another one would go, oh, this is a Kaz Rodriguez Who's Casper Dream? <laughs> and so I said, and this guy, and not only is he writing stuff, but he's also this amazing, amazing drummer. So I, he was immediately interesting because he kind of he has that musicality, um, and a lot of his songs have chords that I call frost chords in them. They've got all these all like sort of strange bass inversions, and I was thinking this is musically really interesting. So again, I got in touch with him and said, um, you know, hello, do you fancy playing on a few tracks? And you know, Cas being the gentleman that he is, he said, yeah, absolutely, sounds brilliant. Man. Very cool that that worked out. I mean, it it adds a cool element to the album, the kind of changing the style and the sounds and everything. And it's a maybe you're on to something there for for future records. Who knows? Gonna be Ringo next time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, well, again, the record comes out. Is it May fourteenth? Fourteenth. That's right. May fourteenth. Uh, a couple of singles out. Uh, check it out. Uh, we're gonna move on to our topic for this podcast. So. Um, we wanted to do sort of, uh, make an ultimate, uh, 
pop slash prog album. So our, our topic here is we're each going to pick songs uh, that are proggy, but not by the traditional prog people that we know, more pop acts that maybe try to stretch themselves and try something interesting. And so we're each going to pick three and we'll go in turn and um, see what we come up with here and, and debate on what's good or bad. Uh, I, all right. Before we go any further, can yeah. I, can I, would I be able to visit the gentleman's ablutions there? Please. I'm sorry about that. Enjoy this. yourself. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Oh, come oh. on. Right on, right on. Right on. Right on. Right on. Jem, why don't we let you go first with your first pick and then. Uh, uh, and then we'll go, uh, John and then, uh, Nick and then myself, and then we'll go around again. Does that work? Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to start with a song called Atlantic by a band called Keen. Uh, Keen were, um, Keen. Keen are great. Keen are great. Keen are great. They were, they were, they kind of, they had three very good albums and then it, I think it was sort of a, a sort of slight personnel implosion, but this is from the second album. It's the opening track of the second album. Yeah. And what I loved about it was it just, it kind of just, uh, the song, I think the album's called, it's Under the Iron Sea, isn't it? And I think it, it kind of just conjures up, it's very cinematic, that opening track, and it conjures up a kind of grey North Sea kind of vista. And what I love about it is it, it it's kind of, it builds all the way through it as a sort of sense of dread. And then about halfway through, completely changes mm-hmm. into this kind of Selena string synth, sort of much more romantic kind of sort of wistful ending and it, it it's it's completely unlike anything else they ever did and it's a brilliant vocal performance from Tom Chaplin it's full of keyboards and it's properly proggy I think You know what? That's a great choice. I was thinking of Keen. I'm, I'm a big fan. I have all their albums. Um, and I was thinking, do they have something that fits for this, actually? And and I think you picked the right the right one from their catalog for it. That actually does work. Because uh, it is an odd opening track for a band like that. Yeah. Um, and it and it is kind of kind of weird for them. Uh, it's really good. That, did, Nick, are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, I am. It's a great song. Yeah, their and, debut uh, album, by the way. I don't know if you agree, but I think it's one of the, it's one of the great albums of like that whole, early two yeah. thousands. That whole thing. It's just one of the best albums from the whole was, period. Also, there was like uh, you had the feeling and Twelve Stops from Home, which is another album from around that time, which was equally, I thought, very good in terms of. Yeah, yeah, they had that sort of. Uh, they were slightly softer, and uh, you know, but nonetheless, they were from around that time. I think I was in. I used to I used to have to travel to like Germany and stuff like that for some other work that I was doing back on previous lifetime, and uh, there wasn't much TV, but you always get like an MTV channel on in the hotel room, and I would just put that on and discover what 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 was out, and that's where I first heard somewhere only only we know, and I was like, whoa, 
This is like, amazing. Their lead instrument was a Yamaha CP80 piano, you know, which is which is beloved of Peter Gabriel and Tony Banks, and you know, it's got that kind of. It just has it. It. They were much cleverer than people gave them credit for. I think. Yeah, for real. Yep. Oh, Great choice. Um, all right, John, what's your pick? I'm going to start with um, "Head Over Heels" by Tears for Fears, um, and that's basically because. Um, it starts in the Lydian mode, which is very oft used in the world of prog. Using those notes, it's basically in the Lydian mode. And also, when there's like a counter guitar motif that comes in, and it suddenly sounds very much like Steve Hackett's walked into the room. And I just think, you know, the modulations between, you know, it's just very cleverly put together song. And it's not you know it's not proggy in the terms of it's got odd time signatures or anything but you know as as in terms of the the hooks it sounds quite sort of um tangential it's kind of odd for a pop song so that's going to be my sort of uh, well you my, could include the second half the law but that other song that attaches I knew you to were going to go there it's a cheap that's shot the proggy <laughs> thing right that's <laughs> That's the proggy thing, the bit where they, you know, yeah, you could uh, you could argue that the, uh, you know, but I just think the actual, the whole motif of it, and it yeah. kind of, it just sounds a little bit like you would associate with what, I mean, I know, yeah, I'm I, I'm talking about the regressive nature of prog here, not the, not the, you know. Yeah. I mean, we're all big Tears for Fears fans for sure. And I mean, I think they're like, for this kind of topic, they're almost the band, I think. That, yeah, that, they're a shoe in, aren't they? Really? Right. That works for this completely. Yeah, it um, does. I, I'm just, a, I just like the song. And even yeah. if it wasn't, I just, I, I, I derailed the concept already, probably, but uh, it's not uh, at all. No, I mean, it, it, no, not at all. I, I, I'm sure like this song. And but also, I just a little, little name drop here. Uh, we were spent a week in Fort Wayne in, uh, uh, Sweetwater, where we were rehearsing for the when we went to do the cruise the edge um, uh, thing. The last time we went there, and we were rehearsing because we didn't have. Um, it's a very good point, actually. Would have that would have been Nick DeVigilio. That was when we did it with Nick DeVigilio, who uh, who played drums for Tears for Fears. Right? Yeah, that's yeah, it's all making sense now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, and of course, we had a guy called Nigel Dick who was filming us throughout the week, and I didn't know who he was until suddenly somebody said, uh, I think Nathan said to us, have you seen this guy's CV? And he kind of, who was, what's Nigel Dick ever filmed? And we, because it's like, you know, Guns and Roses, I think he did like uh, November Rain or something, and, and, <laughs> and then Head Over Heels for Tears for Fears, and then we're not, and all of a sudden, we were like, we're not worthy, you know. Wow, yeah. And, uh, we never used any of the footage anywhere, and we even like recorded a little gig that we did in a dive bar across town. And it's very strange. All this stuff got recorded, and it's just floating out there in the ether somewhere. I think we, we might have got the stems from it or something. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But it was just an interesting thing to. He had a lot of stories to tell us once we once we found him. Once we found him out, we had he was telling us all about Britney Spears, and because he did Baby one more time for Britney. Wow, he's done yeah a lot of big videos. That's amazing. And he's, and he's quite cool. an unassuming chap, you know. Very cool. 
Uh, all right, so I guess uh, I'll, I'll go. Oh, no, Nick, okay. you're next. Okay, so uh, it, for me, it's all about the ability to write and play more complex chops. Uh, that, that's kind of, and, and, and many, many pop acts can do that. Um, and some have taken advantage of the ability and produced froggy sounding songs, but, but others don't. I do want to mention at this point with, with John on board here, I, I do want to say that I could have picked an It Bites song for every single one of these because there is this misconception out there that It Bites, both in its Francis Dunnery incarnation and its John Mitchell incarnation, there's this kind of perception that they were a pop band, right? Because of calling all the heroes, which is so far, far from the truth. The opposite is actually true. I mean, even calling all the heroes it is, is proggy to its core. So in my opinion, It Bites are a prog band who were perceived to be a pop band. So I'm not going to mention them again. I think they were three bands over three albums, personally. And, and then they become sort of pastiche when I, uh, the lesser spotted It Bites, as I would call it, in my version, it was just like a, a pastiche of all three trying to be one thing. But no, I mean, I think the first album's like Duran Duran or something. Second one's like Genesis and third one's like some rock band trying to be from L.A., you know, with a gruff voice, which kind of, you know, I don't, it's slightly musically schizophrenic in their sort of outlook. But, you know, my favourite bands always are, you know, like King's yeah. X changed a lot over the years, okay. as did uh, okay. Jellyfish. They kind of, they, you know, when they did Spilt Milk, that was a bit more sort of way deep into the Beach Boys from the first album, you know, it's kind of, yeah, but no, point taken, but yeah, let's not play it by its eh? Okay, so so for that reason, I'm not going to mention it by its again, even though I could have. Ever. Times, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with uh, a little bit of, a, bit of left field here. Um, I'm going to go with a band that was more a rock band than a pop band, but they were indeed a hit making machine. Um, and that's the band Boston. Um, their song from their first album, which is kind of cheating because it's two in one, but these songs are always played together, are Foreplay and It's Been Such a Long Time from the 1978 debut album. This is uh, Tom, Schultz proing his, uh, Tom Schultz showing his uh, proggier side, I think, uh, certainly with that instrumental intro. It's very classically oriented. Uh, it's got hectic chops all over it. Um, and interestingly, this is apparently the first song that he ever wrote apparently in 1969, hmm. uh, which for me shows his true musical identity. Um, uh, it, it was recorded on two track in his basement and Rolling Stone magazine described the song as a perfect marriage of Led Zeppelin and Yes. So there you have it, uh, Foreplay, It's Been Such a Long Time by Boston. Okay, I shall have to check that out. I'm unaware of the man's work, apart from the big hit, which, of course, Kurt Cobain famously did at 90... I saw him live, I think it was Reading Festival in 93 or 94, and he went, jing a jing 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 Oh, I see. I see. Man, I never I never put that together, and that's amazing. It's exactly the same riff. You have changed that song for me forever. Boston did the happy version. That's the difference. You're right. Oh, my God. Good for you. That was amazing. There we go. Yes, we learned something today. 
Um, all right, so I'm going to go with mine. Um, all right, I'm going to go with Sting and uh, from the Soul Cages album, which to me is his prog record. Um, all right, thumbs up. And uh, I'm going to go the first track, which is Island of Souls. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, Why didn't I think of that? Uh, oh, yeah, right. I'm. I'm just. That, that's how these things go, John. The, the, the thing for me was, go. I wasn't the biggest police fan because I'm not a big oh, fan of like. I I'm like some. Of the, red, no, I like some of the songs. I'm looking for a red card. I'm looking for a red card. <laughs> yeah, I like some of the songs, but at the time, I just I never got into the police as much. But when he started doing his solo stuff, I got completely hooked, and um, because it's way more adventurous and and Island of Souls is just a total prog record, um. And I, I just love the long songs, the weird chords, the whole thing. It's just, it's so epic. And Island of Souls is just, just the most epic song on that whole thing. Slightly Geordie accent in places as well. It's my favorite Sting album. some stuff i mean i kind of at one point i think when he did desert rose i was i was kind of out you know I, I, I was, it was good but i was a bit like nah. yeah yeah the, the, the albums that sort of came later all, all had sort of like two or three good songs but they weren't you know he started to sort of write a few things that were, that were a bit weird but um no but even the song the soul cages that bring it brings back a, a part of island of souls into it it kind of so doing recurring themes and the, I think the whole thing. when he was still doing really, really intelligent arrangements. And, you yeah. know, like, the thing about yeah. Sting is he is, like, yeah. he's very good at going from, you know, through all chords, and you just, you don't hear it when it comes back around. It's like, wow, how did you do that? You know, he's very, very clever like that. Yeah. Sorry. Seven Days on it. Which one was that? That was... Seven uh, Days was Ten, ten Summoners. Ten Summoners. Ten summoners. Yeah, that, that, that came hit. after, I think, it was the one album right after, I think. Big hit in the UK at 5-4. I mean, that's fair play. Like, seven days is amazing that that whole i mean the drumming on on that and just the that, lyrics the whole thing Ly sting's lyrics are just the best i think Nick, the idea from that perfect tense off that kino album i was like i'm having some of that as well all right good so round one is in the books uh all right jem what's your second choice my second choice uh they're slightly more eclectic this one <clears throat> from arguably one of the greatest pop songwriters of all time uh, Paul McCartney, and he, I think it was 1980, I don't quite know what the circumstances for why he did it, but he released Paul McCartney 2, which was, I think he played and he played and recorded everything on it himself. Yeah, I think so. And there's a track on it called Secret Friend, which um, is kind of, it's it's sort of, he just suddenly, for no particular reason, I mean, now the album that you had coming up, which was a sort of, sort of classic kind of woo -woo -woo sort of thing going on. Right. And then he does this track called Secret Friend, which is 10 minutes and 31 seconds long for a start. Uh, it's it's based upon what I think is some sort of 
like an an ARP synthesizer. It's a sequence. It's a sequence riff that just basically keeps going up like a semitone up, then down a fourth, then up a fifth. And he's singing this sort of very long protracted um, uh, sort of vocal line through a through a megaphone. And it kind of it it he suddenly it kind of it, it invoked like you know that kind of that that uh, that new wave era King Crimson and Talking Heads. He just suddenly went massively kind of new wave sort of prog and it, it's really kind of i mean it doesn't it, it it doesn't really evolve much but it's like a 10 minute um kind of experiment a sonic experiment with the synthesizer moving around this high string line him doing all this singing stuff and i think there's melatonin on it and it just out of that came out of nowhere you know paul mccartney and he never did it again either that was just this kind of strange he had an, he had a track on it called um temporary secretary and all these kind of really strange that song is wacky yeah, you know, and, yeah. Just, was, and I remember, and I only heard this album quite recently because I'd never, really, and I was—I don't know how I ended up there, but I remember playing it, thinking, "What is he doing? This is brilliant!" And he just basically—he just went out. He went off on one. And it kind of, you know, for a Beatle to do that, I think was brilliant. It was, it was kind of, it's it just an experimental piece of work. I think. It's yeah, that's really... an under underappreciated album. He actually well, played. Uh, I saw him in concert, and he's doing all the Beatles hits. You know, the three-hour show and the whole thing, and he throws in "Temporary Secretary" in that show. Uh, it's wild. Brilliant. Yeah. So, so, if you think about even like, so I know we're gonna you're gonna laugh at me because it's uh, uh, it's it's you know it's wings, but if you listen. Well, I'm not even. No, I'm not going to defend that. That's I sound like Alan Partridge. But if you listen to like "Live and Let Die," you know those. The whole arrangement of that is bizarre. You know, it starts out as a sort of like sort of easy light Sunday morning, then it goes into the riff, and you get those really sort of strange, odd, angular chords that really weird, and then it goes into a reggae section. I mean, the guy, you know. Actually, that "Live and Let Die" would have been a good one to say. Actually, that's a brilliant idea. I almost, I almost went Uncle Albert. Which I also think is sort of like a real trippy kind of nut kind of prog song, but he he was he's a genius at writing these songs that have like three different complete sections. He did you know Band on the Run is like that. He has a whole bunch of those, um, but he's the greatest ever. So you know, the, friend. As I said, secret last, it's called secret friend. Yeah. Well, great choice. Awesome. Uh, all right, uh, John, you're up. Okay, I'm gonna go with. And this is, you might find the strangest thing, uh, uh, um, Who Are You by The Who, right? Um, which you might think is just a completely ordinary song. But right in the middle of all of that, Who are you? Then, doom, 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 doom. All these bonkers modulations and strange, I don't honestly know what goes on inside Pete Townsend's mind. It's like just an ordinary pop song, but straight in the middle of it, it kind of goes into these really kind of, it's, you know, like really kind of sort of oriental sounding motifs and things. And it's, it, I mean, I know, you know, you know, we're, 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 with the Holy Grail is to find something which, you know, is, is hiding in plain sight. And that really isn't. But as a pop song, it's pretty out there when you think about the whole middle section. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and he does it quite a lot. As if you listen to I Can See for Miles, there's like, 
it's a similar thing. As soon as we get to the middle section, Pete just loses his mind. You know, it's 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 remarkable what he does with just a straight song. You know. And I do, you know, I love The Who. They're my favourite band of all time. Apart Are they? from the police. No, number two, actually, sorry. I've just I've just downgraded the uh, the, the police by accident. <laughs> Didn't mean to do that. I put the police oh, on. Oh, so the, the police were your favourite and that's why you were giving me the red card. I got you. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, it all makes you know, sense. Well, it's okay, but, you know, you're supposed to come to Sting through the police. Not, not You're not supposed to do the reverse genesis. and you know. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> correct. <laughs> You know, no, I quite like Invisible Touch, but now I quite like the round is down. Uh, that's funny. Uh, all right, uh, Nick, your next one. Okay, so I'm going to go with a very obvious big pop duo, uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates. Now, um, I don't know if you know much about Daryl Hall, but, but you know, even though he's had massive pop success, he's an incredible musician. And in my opinion, he's a bit of a progger in disguise. Um, in fact, not so much in disguise. I mean, I mean, his his links to Robert Fripp are fairly well known. Um, so I'm going to go with a song from one of their lesser known albums, the third album they did in 1974 called War Babies. And the song is called Screaming Through December. Now, I know you guys probably haven't heard this song, but um, the album was produced by Todd Rundgren and various members of Todd's band U Utopia performed on this thing. So that played a part in the progginess. But truly, it was the songwriting on the song. It was Daryl's love of King Crimson and David Bowie, which clearly shines through on the song. It starts off with Daryl giving it everything vocally, and he's an incredible vocalist, amazing singer. Um, so that's saying something that Daryl's giving it everything. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the song, two extremely proggy breaks in what I think is seven time time happens with a guitar of superimposed I think in six uh, over this 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 seven time keyboard break as prog as it gets prog to its absolute core so I'm going to say screaming through the beaches by Daryl no Hall. you're right uh, I mean I you showed it to me uh, you showed it to me oh, like yeah. a month or so ago and I was like yeah. damn I'd never heard hollow notes do anything like this because I proggy right proggy. it is it, re it really is it's right? surprising yeah it's like seven Big eight time. minutes or something too right it's like yeah, yeah, it's it's full on prog, man. So cool. I encourage the listeners to, to give it a listen. I'm going to go uh, Dave Matthews Band and uh, Rapunzel from their third album, uh, Before These Crowded Streets, from 98, which is crazy. I can't believe that's already that old. Um, 
don't know. Are you guys uh, familiar with Dave Matthews too much at all, or to uh, or, or to what extent? He comes. Um, he comes from Johannesburg, dude. I mean, right. Uh, well, the drumming's always been amazing because with, with Carter Bruford playing, I mean, it's always insane. Uh, but on that particular track and on that album, really, they went from all the pop hits of the, the prior record to writing long eight minute songs with extra parts and, and crazy time signatures. And Rapunzel is probably the peak of that. It's, it's all over the place, crazy playing. Um, the drumming is insane. It is, it is absolutely as prog as, as a band like that could get. And, of course, it didn't sell as well, which is why they went in another direction after that and tried to write more hits. So, uh, you know, that's what happens. But um, I'm a big Dave Matthews fan, and, and uh, he's, he's written a bunch of great material. But this album is really, if you like Prague and you always thought Dave Matthews was just an acoustic kind of jam band, this album is not that. It's really, really, really good. Um, so Rapunzel from Dave Matthews. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, Jim, your third, third and final, final choice. Third and final. Um, this is uh, it's a, a very well-renowned female songwriting duo uh, who have had a very, very long career and first came to prominence as the guitarist and keyboard player for Prince, mm. uh, Wendy and Lisa. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, what was always interesting about them to me was that sort of in that... that uh, um, the Purple Rain era, you could hear, you could hear them doing their thing on Prince's stuff. If you listen to the song "Take Me With You" from that album, for example, well, there's all these little strange string lines that are kind of in a relative key to the. There's all this stuff going on. It's not anything to do with the song. And then right at the end of Purple Rain itself, there's this amazing form three-minute string thing that just pedals in E that Lisa Common wrote, and it's this massive prog string section thing at the end. And then obviously they went off and did their own thing. And from their most recent album, they went, they went on to do um, lots of soundtracks for TV programs, Heroes they did, which was a big TV show over here. Anyway, their last album was called um, White Flags and Winter Chimneys. And it's the final track on it called Sweet Sweet. It's eight minutes, 42 seconds long. And basically what it is, is this incredible atmospheric, incredibly emotional atmospheric piece of music, which it sort of starts off with just a piano and vocal, um, really sort of incredibly beautifully sung and played really vulnerable vocal and it kind of swells and there's lots of beautiful chords uh, and then it sort of it just builds from that into this amazing kind of kind of end of the album as it's as it is it's reprising themes that were on the first track of the album and all these different bits of pieces the mellotron appears there's loads of mellotron choir and the drums the tempo changes it's just the most amazing cinematic piece of music it still kind of makes me it gets makes me all the hairs on my arms go up because it's so vulnerable but so progressive at the same time and not a, not a lot of prog bands can do emotional i think you know you yeah. can't get that thing that makes you go oh you know and and um yeah it's it's kind of it's it's an extraordinary piece of work an incredible bit of composition i'm a massive massive fan 
I, I've heard some of their stuff over the years, but I'm not familiar with that one. But I would would want to check that out. That sounds really good. Yeah, actually, I didn't even think of Prince for for this podcast. That's that's a known goal, but, isn't it? Prince has got plenty of. Plenty yeah, of, I mean, it would totally make plenty. sense, but it just completely skated by me. <clears throat> um, but nice one, man. Um, all right, John, your third one. Well, I'm because I'm not very good at this game. Obviously, um, I, I'll tell you what I was going to. I was going to go for. I'll tell you what I was going to go for, and then what I've ended up with. I was going to go um, for No Effects, The Decline, because it, they wrote the, the Decline is an EP, which is a very long pop punk thing, which changes, you know. And I thought, well, it's like a prog song because it goes through different movements. It's like theme and variation. I thought no one's going to have heard of No Effects, and if they have, they probably, well, yeah, they probably will turn, turn their <laughs> nose up at it. But I, I shouldn't be swayed by popular opinion. I know. And I thought, no, I'm going to park that. Then I was going to go public image and rise because it's just so bonkers. And I thought, yeah, but then it's not really proggy, is it? But it is quite unusual for, you know, it's kind of, you've got the whole sort of, you know, it kind of modulates, you know, harmonically in the background, but then Johnny Rotten's just shouting throughout. So I thought, no. And then I was going to go Andreas Johnson and Glorious, who's a Swedish guy who had a big pop. Oh, yes. I know. Remember that? And I was, I was going to go for that because, again, that's got such, it's, it sounds like, something that Marillion could have quite easily nailed at some point in time. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to, here's my, my, uh, I'm going to go, aha, hunting high and low. Not hunting high and low, sorry. Yes, hunting high and low. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. I just thought, yeah. Um, and it was going to be, yeah, it was either going to be that or the sun always shows on TV. Because both of those songs are far too epic to be pop songs, really. They're right. so weird. That whole intro to that song. Yeah, those are uh, both yeah, great choices. Such strange modulation. Like it goes from A minor, the way it goes, sort of all uh, diminished chords, and it goes up to D minor, and and then it just it's just such a a, a beautiful uh, you know and, and that whole album actually you know everybody all anybody could see was Morton Harkett's cheekbones at the time, and you know he was when that album, considering this was way before the like uber production it was all done on analog tape and it, all the sequences recorded onto tape and you know all the vocals are like very pure and he doesn't always sing necessarily completely in key but he had a really sort of operatic voice and when he went for a high note you really knew about it um and you know obviously over the years his you know his singing style's changed he sings a lot more softly now but back then that that that, that whole um that wasn't actually their first album but you know hunting high and low the album that was one of the the first LPs I really, my sister gave it to me, and, and then she started playing "Move Closer" by whatever her name was, and, and she played that on repeat about sixteen hundred times. And she said, "I've had enough of our ha, Listen to this." So I, I had my Amstrad thing next door, like trying to, you know, play havoc with her. Move closer. And like, no, we shall listen to our ha now. And so there was a big war going on between our bedrooms were next to each other, and I was winning at one point with our ha. But that album really is one of my sort of fun. They, they kind of. For me, they invented what I lovingly call the Scando sound, you know, which we didn't really know about before, which is a really bleak kind of sort of empty kind of sound, which later bands like, you know, Haim and Cesar Ross have sort of adopted and Car Park North. It's all, all nine chords and really very sort of atmospheric and there's lots of reverb and it's kind of, you know, and that's kind of kind of wanted to steal a load of that for Lonely Robots and I'm being perfect.
Uh, no, a hot fit with this perfectly. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's great. Uh, can you believe all these years take on me is still like just the biggest song? Who would have thought that after like a bazillion years? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, in the you listen to the original record, it's a bit twee, isn't it? It's a little bit. It's like my first drum kit or something, but you know, it's, it works. It's, it's, you, you know, it's been reimagined millions of times yeah. by lots of different people, and there are some, you know, it's, 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 you know, they are remarkable writers. I think. I think they're much in in the canon of pop. They've been much misrepresented. I feel. For sure. And and what a vocalist! Wow. Yeah, yeah he's crazy great. singer. What cheekbones as well, going back to 1980. <laughs> That's another podcast. Um, all right, uh, Nick, your last choice. Oh, what to do, what to do. Um, could have gone Gino Vanelli, Joe Jackson, Steely Dan, uh, the police. How can we leave off the police? Um, okay, but I, I think this band deserves to be mentioned twice um, just, just because they... They really were proggers at heart, I think. So I'm going to go with Tears for Fears again. Um, and this time, Bad Man's Song. I mean, it's a fairly obvious choice, but but I think it deserves to be here. Um, the studio version uh, fe featured uh, Manu Caché on drums and Pino Palladino on bass. It's pop, but it's prog. Um, the live version which was recorded at Nebworth is almost almost overwhelming in a different way. Um, Aletta Adams, fantastic vocalist. It's a duet with with Roland. Um, and it just goes to so many places that I think it deserves to be mentioned here. So I'm going to go with Tears for Fears, Bad Man's Song from 1989's The Seeds of Love. Yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out as well that, you know, they, they as a band, they kind of coexisted at the same time in that whole Bath scene. You know, you had a lot of people, not literally in the Bath, in, in the town, near the town of Bath in, you know, Wep and Wepit. And so, like, you know, you had a lot of cross-pollination between, like, the people, you know, down there. And, it, you know, it was kind of, it was, a, it was, um, and I love the fact that they found Alita Adams in, in a bar, and she was singing in a, in, a, in a hotel lobby, you know, on the piano and just singing. I mean, it's an amazing story that they sort of, they kind of lifted her up and they, you know, they took her under her yeah. wing. Right. No, amazing yeah. album, amazing song. Yeah. Good choice. And like we said, Tears for Fears makes a lot of sense for this one. So that really works. Yeah. Um, my last choice. Um, God, I'm really stuck between two. Uh, or, or, but all right. I'm going to go with uh, the band My Chemical Romance. Oh, my goodness. And uh, Welcome Black to the Black Parade. Parade. Black Parade. From... Uh, from their Black Parade album. Uh, yeah, no, it's, I mean, I'm, what I remember about that is when that came out and I, I remember I was working with John Beck at the time and he said he absolutely adored them and they had all the Jimi Hendrix jackets on and they were really conceptual and he said, what a great song, man, you know, and he really got into it. And I think, you know, but I also remember him being very enthusiastic about um, Kaiser Chiefs when they did I Predict a Riot because they had that sort of whole yobbo sort of who, uh, anyway, I'm going off topic. 
Yeah, no, uh, My Chemical Romance. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, Welcome to the Black Parade. Really, really good song. And of course, it changes key about six times, doesn't it? It keeps rising, goes up a tone every time. Yeah, it's yeah a very... and it has a lot of, uh, I mean, they're really channeling Bohemian Rhapsody and Queen and all, you know, the, the a million background vocals and orchestration and... Panic at the Disco actually do Bohemian Rhapsody live once. They, I mean, all that because they were of that same sort of ilk. I think same, they, I same. I think they were, they might have been label mates. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, uh, that's a great album as well. A, a real concept record and, and really good. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, whilst all those, you know, again, it's always that thing that you know, like like I say, you know, back in the day, everybody sort of ruled against prog and goes. Oh, prog is evil. Look, they're dinosaurs. And they're course, you know, Johnny Lydon, you know, goes and gets Steve Vai on his record. I mean, I think secretly, and he loves Van de Graaff as well. So, you know, I think everybody's a secret sort of prog head, really. Yeah. You know? Every every band at, at some point tries to get, they're going to go, uh, all right, now we'll write long songs and get an orchestra. Everybody tries that at least once. You know, like that didn't work. Quick, back to the... Yes. That's <laughs> right. It didn't work. Quick, Let's go back, back to, to the, the Hurt Factory. <laughs> 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 gentlemen uh just wanted to say congratulations on the latest masterwork thank you for all the music over the years thank you we appreciate you welcome <laughs> i have got nothing jim godfrey and john mitchell frost um the new album day and age will be out on may 14th if I'm correct, on correct, all formats. Yes. Go out, buy it. You need this record. Congratulations, guys, and best of luck with the new release. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. This is fun. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.